0: Welcome to our weekly Catechism class. This is a weekly look at the Heidelberg Catechism to help us to learn Christian doctrine with a warm and a practical application. Every lesson has an accompanying study guide. The web link to find that guide is in the episode notes. Now, let's start the class. So welcome to our Catechism class. Welcome indeed. In Lord's Day 19, question 51, our Catechist asks us that we as, uh, teaches us rather, that we as individual Christian believers, as members of the body of which Christ is the head, that we should benefit personally from the exaltation of Jesus at the Father's right hand. Now, we've already looked at the first of these blessings the benefit of spiritual gifts and the second the second of these blessings is the protection that we receive by his kingly might and power our instructor asks us in question 51 how does the glory of christ our head benefit us and the answer is first by his holy spirit he pours out heavenly gifts upon us his members second by his power he defends and preserves us against all enemies. I'm Bob McAvoy, and you're listening to the Semper Reformata Podcast. But I want to begin this lesson by reminding you of the words of one of the great hymns of the Christian faith, the words of Martin Luther's hymn, perhaps his best-known hymn. A safe stronghold our God is still, a trusty shield and weapon. He'll keep us clear from all the ill that hath us now o'ertaken. With force of arms we nothing can, full soon were we downridden but for us fights the proper man, whom God himself hath bidden. Ask ye who is this same? Christ Jesus is his name. The Lord Sabaoth's son, he and no other one shall conquer in the battle. I think Luther knew what it meant to need the protection of the Lord. His stand against indulgences, his proclamation of the gospel, salvation, by grace alone, by faith alone, through Christ alone, for God's glory alone. His unyielding stand for the authority of Scripture alone made him many enemies. He bravely attended the Diet of Warham in 1521 under guarantee of safe passage, and there was questioned by John Eck on whether the 25 books laid before him were written by him. Well, of course they were. He was asked if he would recant. He would not. And so Luther's reply has become legendary. Unless I am convinced by the testimony of the Scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves, I am bound by the Scriptures I have quoted and my conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. Here I stand. I can do no other. May God help me. Amen. His safe passage was by no means safe. So his mentor and his earthly ruler, Frederick the Third, sent men to fake a highway attack and abduct Luther, hiding him away in the Wartburg Castle for a year. Luther knew, though, that it wasn't Frederick, ultimately, who was his shield and defender. Primarily, it was the Lord himself. As our catechist reminds us, Christ, seated at the Father's right hand and reigning as our king, by his power, defends and preserves us against all enemies. Just briefly note, he defends us by his power. Although Luther had a powerful man as a friend and protector, it is on the power of God that we trust, not the power of men, not even princes like Frederick. Christ's power is superior, for he is omnipotent, he is all powerful. Psalm one hundred and eighteen verse eight tells us that it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes and also he protects us as his church and individually and that's wonderfully personal we have promises in the scriptures that God will always protect us that he will never leave us that he will care for us and without the permission of our Savior that not a single hair can fall from the believers head that promise of course is for us and a corporate guarantee also to the church Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 16 and verse 18, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Jesus defends us by his power, both as Christians and as a body of believers, and he preserves us. He will never permit us to be plucked out of his hand. We are held tight in the Saviour's grip. John 10 and verse 28 says, I will give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Our security does not depend on our own strength. It would fail us if we did. We would fall away and be lost. It rests on Christ. A firm and a solid foundation who will never fail us. How wonderful is our Saviour. How wonderful our mighty Deliverer, who delivers us out of the hands of our enemies. Let's praise him. Let's sing Psalm 91, verses 11 to 16. The psalmist writes, For he will charge his angels with your care, to guard you in your footsteps, every one. They will uphold and bear you in their hands, lest you should strike your foot against the stone." Verse 14, because he loves me, says the Sovereign Lord, I'll rescue and deliver him from harm. Since he acknowledges my holy name, I will protect him with my mighty arm. Psalm 91, verse 11 to 16, and the tune is Highland Cathedral. But why would we even need to be defended? Our catechist reminds us that Christians have enemies. Who are these enemies that need the greatest and most powerful defender ever to save us from them? I can see three of them right away. Of course, flesh and blood are enemies. There is no doubt that throughout the history of the Church, there has never been a period when Christians have not been persecuted. That was Luther's experience, but he survived the murderous intents of Rome. Others did not. Many, many faithful believers died at the hands of Rome during the 16th and 17th centuries. In the early days of the Church, from the very first martyr Stephen right up until now, Christians have died for their faith in Christ. Yet, other people, while we might need the Lord's protection from them, are not actually our real enemies— They are sinners for whom we pray. That's why we love our earthly enemies. We pray for them and seek their salvation. But we do have spiritual enemies. In his famous passage in Spiritual Warfare, Paul the Apostle wrote in Ephesians 6 and verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now against those enemies we need Christ. James tells us how to deal with satanic attacks. James 4 and verse 6. If you read down to verse 8 you'll get the full context. I'm just going to quote some of it. He gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And yet, there's a third enemy, one that we seldom take cognizance of. And that enemy is our own sinful hearts. I wonder, have you ever heard anyone saying he or she is their own worst enemy? Very often that's true. We do have an enemy within. Remember the words of Jeremiah. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17 and 9. We're tempted. And when we yield to temptation, we are sinning against the Lord. And because the Holy Spirit indwells us and convicts us of that sin, we call out to him to defend us. In this case, to defend us from our own selves, from our own internal hearts. Now, against all these enemies, Christ is our shield and our defender. He defends us by interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. He defends us by sending us his Holy Spirit to guide us through life. He defends us by ordaining our lives and our destiny through his sovereign will and through his providence. And he will go on defending us. I suppose we've only been thinking really at this stage of Christ's defence, primarily in terms of the individual believer, taking comfort from that. But objectively, Christ will defend his church forever. He will always keep us safe, even in the last great battle, even when he defends his kingdom against the forces of evil. On that day, on that last day, he will be victorious. Paul, writing about that last day, about the day of general resurrection, cried out in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57, Thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now while we don't trust in men for our defence, and while we know that our only hope is in the keeping power of Christ, we're not standing idle while Christ wins our battles. We're to be in his army. We too are in the battle, and Christ leads us to victory. Paul again in Ephesians 6 and 10 says, Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. One final thought. Because Christ defends his church and defends and preserves us as believers, we need to ask, should a Christian ever attempt to defend himself or herself? Now, there are Christian people who will believe that Christians should essentially be pacifists, after all, didn't Jesus himself tell us to turn the other cheek? Turn in your Bible to Matthew 5 and verse 38. It says there, Ye have heard that it hath been said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. We have to turn the other cheek. So with Christ as our strong defence, should we ever defend ourselves? Well, we need to remember, first of all, that when Jesus was speaking about smiting the cheek, he was referring to a calculated insult, to a backhanded slap specifically to the right cheek, rather than a punch to the face. If anyone insults you, don't retaliate. The believer is perfectly willing to be insulted for the sake of Christ. Jesus also warned the disciples that there would be times when they would need to defend themselves with God's help. In Luke 12 and verse 11 to 12, he envisages a time when they might be standing before those who would persecute them in the synagogues and the magistrates' court, and he says that they're to rely on the Holy Spirit to help them to defend themselves, to tell them what they should say. The psalmist went so far as to say that it is the Lord himself who helped him to wage war, talking about the concept of a just war in Psalm 144. Blessed be the Lord my strength, which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight. In Exodus 22 and verse 2, the law specifically allows us to defend our homes. It says there, if a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. So the law of God is actually more rational in the sanctity of a home than some of our modern judges and lawmakers are. Jesus used self-defence and has an analogy on more than one occasion. In Luke chapter 11 and verse 21, he said, When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. He's using that as an analogy. If we are looking for precedence, we might even consider Nehemiah 4, verse 16 to 18, where the men who were rebuilding the city of Jerusalem divided up their workforce into sections, so that one group worked and another group, would be guarding the workers. So what have we learned in this lesson? As our exalted king, Jesus rules over his kingdom. He gives heavenly gifts to his people through the work of the Holy Spirit. He defends those who are in his kingdom from their many enemies. He does this through his intercession on their behalf, through the indwelling Holy Spirit who's within each believer, through his sovereign ordaining of events. He is our mighty defender, and we are the soldiers in his army. And there are also times when it is right for us to defend ourselves, relying on his divine help and wisdom to know when these times are. His protection over us will never cease. And ultimately, one day that protection will actually include bringing us out of this world and home to glory, safe forever in our heavenly home. Just to finish, let's read Romans chapter 8, verse 35 to 39. Paul writes, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. when we're going to learn that one day Jesus will rise from that place where he is seated at the right hand of God and will return to this earth. From whence he shall come to judge both the living and the dead. So thanks for listening to the podcast today. If you would like to help to get the podcast better known there's a really easy way that you can do that. Go into your podcast app on your phone or your mobile device, search for the Semper Reformata podcast, subscribe to it and if your podcast app allows you to give it a five star rating and that will help others to find the podcast more easily. So thanks again for listening.